All right. The name of this message is What, When, and How Long is the Day of the Lord? What, When, and How Long is the Day of the Lord? Uh, we got a lot of questions. Chad sent me a bunch of questions that came in that we'll be answering the next two weeks. So if uh, you listen to the podcast, I uh, hope you're blessed by the answers. We go straight to the scripture and what the Lord says. But there were a few of them. I said, hey, Chad, some of these are uh, questions like, you know, do we agree with dispensationalism? Uh, a few other questions, a few questions, including this one that I won't be answering until the following week, but I'll give a short answer compared to this study because on Wednesday nights, we like to go deep if we can and have a good time. What, when, and how long is the day of the Lord? Although we're going to go so deep that I'll answer the first two. I'll try to with scripture. What, you know, when, and then how long we'll look at next week. And that was really the question. How long is the day of the Lord? Is it a literal day or, or what? That's a great question. And when you look at the scriptures on it, you have to put scriptures together. And uh, that'll, that'll be a fascinating study in itself. But today it's what and when is the day of the Lord? And it's not an easy question to answer in the times in which we live because there are so many different viewpoints as to what it is, how long it is. And I believe the viewpoint that is very popular in the evangelical church is, has been made popular because it just sounds good. It isn't the result of deep, you know, study and exegesis. It's more about eisegesis, reading into the text, the hopeful viewpoint that, hey, the day of the Lord is a time that we're not going to be around because we're going to be taken at the very beginning of it. And it used to be by my pre-trib brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, years and years ago, after the position was just developed, that uh, they understood the day of the Lord is at the very end. It's at the second coming of Christ. In fact, Schofield, okay, I think I quote him in my debate with Dr. Stoffer when I debated him and I was invited to Twins Peak or to uh, Colorado, I should say, and we had our debate. Uh, but I've got, there's a great quote in the Schofield Bible, and he's a strong pre-tribulationist. And he taught that different events have to come to pass before the day of the Lord. And that was still the teaching into the big part of the 1900s until it was like, man, but wait, this doesn't work, you know? If the rapture's at the day of the Lord and the day of the Lord is at the end of the tribulation, then where's the pre-trib rapture, right? So then a lot of pre-tribs began to, even before that, some had already shifted. But they start saying, no, the day of the Lord has to be the entire tribulation period. And it begins with the rapture. And that was a newer view. But let me just say this. Because I don't want to lose anybody. And, you know, sometimes I've got to be really careful. You know, you start talking to somebody on the streets. And you start witnessing to them and you start saying, well, the apostles said, they never even heard apostles, some of them, you know. They're just lost right away. You got to be really careful to define your terms. And I know we have a lot of people that, that watch by live stream and we praise God for our live stream audience and others here. And there's people at different stages of growth. But when we talk about the tribulation period, we're talking about uh, that seven-year period. Technically, it's the last three and a half years of that seven-year period. But I just use, sometimes I'm still stuck using the popular language, even though it's not super uh, theologically precise. But the Bible talks about Daniel's 70th week, which is yet future, which will be a seven-year period of time. And we typically call that the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week. It'll be a time of great trial, 
of great testing for God's people. And it'll be a time where God begins to pour out his wrath and it will become stronger and stronger until the very end of that period of time. But it'll be a time of, uh, of suffering and persecution for believers, not at the hands of God, but at the hands of man. Now, that last three and a half years is when in the middle of that seven years, the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God showing himself that he's God and demand worldwide worship. And Jesus said at that time there will be great tribulation. So sometimes we can use the language, and, I, and to me it's, it's acceptable, call it the seventh week of Daniel. You can call the seven years the tribulation period, but it's really at the midpoint that you have what Jesus definitely described as the great tribulation because that's when the Antichrist will persecute those who refuse to take the mark of the beast. Amen? So uh, the day of the Lord... What is the day of the Lord, though? Because you should know that phrase. And in fact, next time when we get together, I'll, I'll quote it so many passages which mention the day of the Lord, okay? Uh, and if I did that in this message, I wouldn't be able to get my main points across. But when I talk about how long the day of the Lord is, it's more conducive to looking at uh, several passages that mention the day of the Lord in the text. Although we'll definitely be seeing the day of the Lord in the text here because that's what we're studying. So the idea is, and historically, people that understood the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to reign, amen, proud his wrath on the wicked. That's how the day of the Lord had historically been understood. But then a bunch of, our, a bunch of the pre-tribbers, and pre-trib means those who believe the rapture will happen when? Before the tribulation period, pre-trib, before the tribulation period. A lot of pre-tribbers started realizing, uh-oh, wait a second. The Bible puts our hope the Bible puts the rapture at the day of the Lord. Uh-oh. If the rapture's at the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord's at the end of the tribulation, that would mean that what isn't true? The pre-trib rapture, right? So they go, wait, we gotta move the, we gotta move the day of the Lord up. Whoop. But we know it's at the end. So let's just call it the entire seven years is the day of the Lord. And, 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 and it begins with the rapture. That's like the first day of the day of the Lord, or, you know, some have a Stanton. Uh, I was just looking at some of the stuff he said. I've got his book on pre-tribulations, the pre-tribber. You know, he's like, well, he basically has seven years and a day, you know, the pre-trib rapture, then the next seven years is the day of the Lord, uh, and so forth. So you see how they're getting around that. And by the way, uh, like I said, you kind of have to do that in a way, because listen to uh, some of the scriptures that reference the day of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, to the church at Corinth, he will sustain you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, to the end, historically, the church would look at that and say, we're going to go through trouble. And at the very end, there's the day of the Lord at his second coming. But they said, ah, the day of the Lord must refer to his, or they would say the day of Christ. See, the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all the same day. And some of the pre-trib brethren said, well, the day of Christ is the rapture and the day of the Lord is at the end. But then they realized, oh, we got to make the day of the Lord longer, make it seven years long. In fact, to the uh, church at Corinth a little bit later in that same, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, he talked about handing a guy who was having sexual relations with his mom over to Satan to discipline him, to bring him hopefully to repentance so he could be saved in the end. And he says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so we would look at that and historically the church would look at that at his second coming at the end of the tribulation period. 
But, but they're like, man, the hope is at the day of the Lord. It must be, we must make it at the beginning of the tribulation. So therefore, the whole seven years is the tribulation period. Now, I'm going to quote you some, some pre-trib teachers, leading pre-tribbers from the past to, to, you know, present. So you can see that this is indeed what they're teaching. Hal Lindsey, he popularized the pre-trib rapture idea more than anybody uh, in his era. He wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, Countdown to Armageddon, which was the bestseller on planet Earth for nonfiction. Uh, Late Great Planet Earth was. And you remember how Tim LaHaye's kind of broke those records, I think? Left Behind? Both those guys, Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye, said, hey, they got people to think about a pre-trib rapture. Don't worry about facing tribulation, which to me is pretty scary. Hal Lindsey wrote, those who are left behind will be the ones who experience the day of the Lord, which begins with the great tribulation. So for him, the tribulation is synonymous with what? The day of the Lord. Tim LaHaye, in charting the end times, he states, quote, Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18 provides one of the most colorful descriptions of the great day of the Lord, which we commonly call the tribulation period. So they're calling the whole tribulation period the day of the Lord. Catch that? Dwight Pentecost, he was the leader or the president of Dallas Theological Seminary for some time uh, and a leading teacher of, uh, uh, of eschatology there. Uh, he wrote in his book, Things to Come, a study in biblical eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times, a book that I have. He quotes, he says, quote, the term, the day of the Lord, or that day, the day of the Lord or that day, sometimes it's called that day. The term day of the Lord or that day is not a term which applies to a 24-hour period, but rather the whole program of events, including the tribulation period. John Walvard, who also became the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, he wrote The Rapture Question, a book that I have on the preacher of rapture that's heavily underscored in my library. Uh, not agreeing with it, but <laughs> he writes, quote, the day of the Lord as presented in the Old and New Testament includes rather than follows the tremendous events of the tribulation period. In a word, the day of the Lord begins before the great tribulation. So it begins because he believes it begins with the pre-trib rapture. John Hagee, and when I'm quoting these guys, I'm obviously not endorsing, uh, I definitely wouldn't endorse John Hagee's teaching. John Hagee says, quote, this time, speaking of the day of the Lord, he says, begins at the exact moment the Lord appears in the clouds to gather the believing church unto him and the wicked is revealed. The rapture is therefore the sign that the tribulation has begun. So the tribulation or the rapture kicks off the day of the Lord for the next seven years. The tribulation and the day of the Lord are the same according to these teachers. David Jeremiah, a very popular teacher. Uh, some of these guys have some really good things to say on certain issues, but some of the things they say can be quite dangerous. Uh, David Jeremiah says, quote, the rapture of the church is the next event to happen on God's prophetic timetable. In other words, before the Antichrist again, and so forth. The rapture of the church, says Jeremiah, is the next event to happen on God's prophetic timetable. It could happen today. And the day of the Lord begins when the rapture takes place. Does it sound kind of repetitious? One more. Uh, John MacArthur says, quote, in this, day of the, in this day of the Lord that is coming, there will be a beginning point, which is the snatching away of the church, the rapture of the church. There will be the time of tribulation that comes on the earth. So the day of the Lord, tribulation, same, over and over again. Uh, I actually deleted a couple of them, one or two, because there are so many of these saying the same thing. Now, there's a, there's a big problem here. 
Because the tribulation period, even though God will be pouring out some wrath during that time, no doubt, is, is for the church a time of testing. Jesus said in the world, in John 16, 33, you have tribulation, you will have it. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen? Now, we're not destined to wrath, but we are destined to tribulation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says that no one be moved by these tribulations, for you yourselves know that, they, that we were destined for this. We're destined for what? Tribulation. Amen? How many know that in your own life? Been through some trials? You know, the Greek word, one of the Greek words often translated tri tribulation is philipsis. Philipsis, which originally meant was used of two rocks crushing someone or something. And uh, philipsis, we go through pressure and we're appointed to tribulation. Just do a word search in the New Testament on the word suffer and you'll see it applies more to the church than anyone. But the tribulation that we're appointed to comes at the hands of men and Satan, not from God, okay? He's not directing his wrath at us during times of tribulation, whether it's now or time of the great tribulation. We're not appointed to the wrath. So we are appointed to tribulation. Uh, we're not appointed to wrath, though. And just as the Jews were protected in the land of Goshen, right, and from the plagues, including the 10th plague because of the blood of the lambs, we're protected by the blood of the lamb from the wrath of God. Amen. However, the day of the Lord does not refer to those seven years of tribulation. The day of the Lord refers to the very end. I have not seen one verse anywhere that goes and talks about the, the seven-year tribulation, states that the seven-year tribulation period is the day of the Lord. You won't find it. You'll search it in vain. But you'll find something totally the opposite. You'll find out that the tribulation events that take place, several scriptures say these events precede the day of the Lord. It's just all over the scripture. And if it was one or two, that would be enough, but I'll show you several in, in a moment. Now, it's interesting. The day of the Lord refers to the outpouring of God's wrath in association with Christ's second coming. Okay, when he comes with his holy angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on the wicked, to be exalted in all the earth, to rule with a rod of iron. It's when he comes to, when, it's when Jesus Christ returns and pours out his wrath on the Antichrist and, or the beast and the false prophet and the wicked nations that have surrounded Jerusalem there in the Valley of Megiddo. That's the day of the Lord, okay? Now, there's times of wrath prior to that. There's times of wrath right now. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, Right now, actually 2,000 years ago, including today, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He's angry with the wicked every day, and there's all kinds of, you just go through Scripture, he pours out his wrath oftentimes. You know, but it will intensify during the tribulation period. But that's not to be confused with the day of the Lord. Now, our pre-trib brothers and sisters are correct in saying that the rapture, the day of the Lord and the rapture are at the same time. The problem is they move it where? Up to the beginning of the tribulation period instead of to the end of the tribulation period. Now, I want to mention five events that will take place, and these are five events in the tribulation period. Listen, five events that take place in the tribulation period that all precede the day of the Lord, and I can prove it. And if there are events that precede the day of the Lord, the Bible says come before the day of the Lord, but they're tribulation events, that shows you that the day of the Lord is not synonymous with what? The tribulation period. Are you with me? Understand, if you have key tribulation events, 
taking place. And the Bible tells us they happened before the terrible day of the Lord or the day of the Lord or that day. If they happen before the day of the Lord, therefore they cannot be the day of the Lord. And the tribulation cannot be the day of the Lord. Are you with me still? All right. Sometimes I'll, I don't repeat, I used to repeat things five times, you know, but everybody's more mature now. And I think I've matured a little bit more too. <laughs> so, but I'm still going to repeat them because I don't, because I notice the difference sometimes is uh, for people to grow is hearing it a second time. Sometimes people might zone out. Like, oh, oh, pff, good. Because if you miss certain keys, you're like, what's he trying to prove? Number one, you have the emergence of the two witnesses during the tribulation period. And that takes place before the day of the Lord. Yet it happens during the tribulation. So the tribulation, therefore, cannot be the day of the Lord. You have followers of the Antichrist proclaiming peace and safety, peace and security during the tribulation period. But it says it's before the day of the Lord. Therefore, when they're saying peace and safety during the tribulation period, it cannot refer to the day of the Lord. Number three, you have the fallen away in association with the persecution of the Antichrist. And we're told that that happens before the day of the Lord. Number four, you have the emergence of the Antichrist in the temple of God. What part of the tribulation does the Antichrist reveal himself in the temple of God? Halfway point, right? So if he's associated with the tribulation period, in fact, he's right back in the middle and rules throughout the tribulation period, but he comes before the day of the Lord, therefore the tribulation period cannot be what? The day of the Lord. Number five, the revelation of the Antichrist I'm sorry, uh, following that revelation of the Antichrist, later in the tribulation period, and then after, you'll see, you have the darkening of the sun and the moon and the stars, which happen during the tribulation, and then they intensify after, and this happens, we're told, before the day of the Lord. So if you have the sun, you know, turning black like sackcloth, and the moon turning, you know, not being able to see it, and turning blood, you know, and this happens before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And the tribulation events, how could the tribulation be the day of the Lord? It can't. So it's one thing for me to say those things, but I want you to go to certain scriptures. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, very last book of the Bible. And I'll just quote it. While you're if you want to turn there and check it out, that's fine. Because who do most pre-tribs say the two witnesses are? And I'm not here to debate who they are. There's some good guesses, but right now I don't believe you can know for sure. A lot of people, a lot of post-tribs too, say, they usually, what two or three people are picked to be the two witnesses? Enoch, Enoch someone said. Yeah, a lot of people pick Enoch. Who else? Elijah, right? He's the most popular pick. Because no one never says Enoch's coming back again, but it does talk about Elijah coming again, right? And the third one, someone said? Moses. Those are the three guys. Now, how can that even work if there's two witnesses? How come they have three? No, they don't have three. Somebody picks two out of those three usually, right? Now, Elijah is the most commonly picked. Why would Elijah be commonly picked to be one of the two witnesses? He never died, but that's true of Enoch. So that's why he's also picked. But why is Elijah picked more than anybody pretty much? Because he died that's, or he never died, that's one reason. But number two, what? It talks about what, Jimmy? He's supposed to come before the Messiah comes. Remember that? And remember, they questioned John the Baptist whether he was Elijah or not. And when they, Jesus said he was, John the Baptist said he wasn't. Is there a contradiction there? No. Because 
They asked John the Baptist, point blank, are you Elijah? You know, that was to come. He says, no. But Jesus said he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Okay, Elijah was a picture of him, but Elijah was going to come ultimately and before the first and the second coming, at least in the spirit and power of Elijah. And right now to this day, if you go to a Jewish, young Jewish guy's circumcision, uh, not that you would go, I'm just saying, uh, they have a, <laughs> I would go, but they have a, it's like a little celebration and they have an empty chair that, you can't sit in that chair because Elijah's coming. If you go to a Jewish Passover, guess what they have there? An empty chair because they're waiting for who? Elijah, right? Okay. So it's interesting. Uh, a lot of people say Elijah will be one of the two witnesses. I'm not here to argue for or against that. I'm only here to say that they recognize the two witnesses. That he, If it's not Elijah, literally, it'll be someone in the spirit and power of Elijah or a company that he represents. People have different views. I'm not saying which view is correct at this point. But look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Does it say during the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord? Is that what it says? No, what does it say? Before. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day or terrible day of the Lord. So it's important to understand. Uh, these tri- and most, for, this is a great argument for pre-tribs because most pre-tribs, Elijah's one of the two witnesses. Well, show him this passage. Say tribulation cannot be the day of the Lord. Elijah comes before the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord is the Lord, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to number two, which is the world under the Antichrist right before they're destroyed, will be saying peace and safety. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we have this classic rapture text, a beautiful passage about the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 15, we read uh, the rapture which Jesus enacts when he comes back. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. By the way, it's not based on the word of the Lord. You know, when I prepared for the debate, poor Tony, man. I don't know. We had like, I put like, I couldn't believe how many I found. I like almost right around 100 parallels between 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 and the Olivet Discourse and a little bit more in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2 and so forth. It's so obvious that Paul is, when he talks about Jesus coming like a thief here and so forth, and it's based on the word of the Lord, you know, he's basing it on Jesus' teaching about his second coming, which Jesus said was coming when in respect to the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation. And, the, and that's when he talks about coming like a thief, Matthew 24. So when you go to this passage, look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, and I said poor Tony because we never use those, that argument. I just was running out of time, man. I was like, it's reserved for some time. We'll see. Uh, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who are dead in Christ. We won't go up before they go up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now chapter 5, verse 1. Now keep in mind in the original there is no, in Paul's letter, he didn't have a chapter 5 in verses. Just letter, right? That's added by man, by man, and it's not inspired, you know? 
the, the verse numbers and the chapter breaks are not inspired. Some King James only people think that every little thing that man adds later is inspired, which is ridiculous. I'm sorry. So notice what Paul says af- as he's talking about the rapture, right? He's talking about being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ rise first, then we'll be caught up to meet them in the air, right? Chapter 5, verse 1. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren. What's he talking about? Times of epochs are what? What's he been talking about? What's the context? Context is king. He's talking about the what? The rapture, right? Well, just verse, read verses 15 through 18. So far, that's the context. Now, it's the times and the epochs, brethren. You have no need anything to be written to you. Wow. Paul, what are you saying? Why don't they have anything need for anything to be written to them? Because they had teaching. And Paul's alluding to the teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ about Christ's second coming. Now it's the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need anything be written to you. Okay? Verse 2. For you, for you yourselves know full well, for you yourselves know full well that the what? Day of the Lord will come just like a what? Thief in the night. The context is he's talking about the Lord's coming, is he not? And when he comes, what's going to happen? There's going to be the rapture. Who's going to go first? The dead in Christ. Then we'll be caught up in there. The context is the Lord's return. Amen? Okay. This is so clear. For you yourselves know full well that the day, they know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So guess what? He doesn't have to write to them about all the times and the epochs. Because they know full well the coming that he just talked about. Which includes the rapture of the church. He's coming for believers. And they're to be ready. We happen like a thief in the night. By the way, he equates the Lord's coming in the context of the rapture to be ready for it with the what? Day of the Lord. Did you catch that? Look at verse 2. For yourselves know full well that the what? Day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Okay, this is very, very important uh, that we get the gist of what's happening here because now I want you to look at verse 3. While they are saying what? Peace and safety or peace and security. Then that sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they what? Will not escape. Even though day Lord is a blessing for believers, we get caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. It's our final salvation and glorification. It's a day of destruction for the wicked. Okay? But what are they going to be saying before the day of the Lord? Before Jesus returns? They're going to be saying what? Peace and safety. Peace and security. So you have a couple things so far. We have the emergence of Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. We have the world saying peace and security before the great and terrible day of the Lord or the day of the Lord or as one exegete mentions earlier, one of the pre-trips says, or that day. It's important to understand. They'll come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they will not escape. Now, some might ask, well, during the tribulation period, I mean, how are they going to be saying peace and safety and peace and security before the Lord returns? I mean, aren't they going to be just getting, just God's going to unleash these seals and these trumpets, you know, and these bold judgments upon them? How is, how is he going to, you know, how are they going to 
be saying peace and safety at that time. People, you got to pay, brothers and sisters, closer attention to the text in the scripture. When you go through the tribulation period and you go to the very end, right before Revelation 19, right before the Lord returns, what does the Lord say to his people? He talks about the luxury of Babylon. He talks about how pompous they are, how rich Babylon is. Earlier during the seal judgment, he says, don't touch the oil or the wine. There's going to be a lot of people in the lap of luxury still. He says, come out of my people lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. Amen? Jesus, in reference to the second coming in Matthew 24, says it'll be like the days of Noah, right? They'll be eating, drinking. They'll be building. They'll be given in marriage. Life will be going on normal for a lot of people in certain areas of the world. And uh, he says, come out of my people so you don't partake of her sins or her plagues. And that's right before Babylon is destroyed. And that's the great city that all the merchants weep over when it's destroyed in association at the end of chapter 18 and, and chapter, the beginning of chapter 19 with the Lord's coming and the, se and the seventh bowl judgment. is the destruction of Babylon split in three parts with the seventh bowl judgment. And it brings the end of the cosmos like the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet. Now, it's interesting here because also think of this. In fact, uh, listen to this. Revelation chapter 11, verse 10. Remember the two witnesses? They, they, they witnessed for three and a half years, right? And they're bringing plagues on the earth. A lot of, and they're tormenting the earth with their plagues. They're just, people want them dead and they can't kill them. Then listen, listen to this, pretty heavy. Revelation chapter 11, verse 10. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange. This is after they're killed. The beast will kill them. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been, uh, had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. So guess what? Party time, peace and safety. We're secure. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God now. That's not true, but they think that, you know. Oh, we've, these guys are finally dead. You know, the Antichrist is reigning. They won't call him the Antichrist. He's the... You know, he's the false messiah. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of, see what I'm saying? There's an attitude a lot of people have where they'll be saying peace and security. And keep in mind, they'll be looking at the Antichrist and they'll take his mark midway through just, uh, in the midway point, he reveals himself. So after the midway point of the tribulation, people are taking his mark to buy and sell and people are saying, who can make war with him? That's security, isn't it? He says he destroys many through means of peace. He says, I should say, he says, you know, he destroys many in the book of Daniel. It says, but he claims to be bringing peace. He's the white horse rider, remember, at, in the very beginning. Not the white horse rider at the end of the tribulation. That's Jesus with the sword and the diadema. He's got the Stephanos. In a, he's got one, not many crowns. And he's got a bow, not a sword. Amen? So the world will be saying peace and safety during that time. But notice that when they're saying peace and safety, what does it say? Verse 4. Or verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Why? Well, back up to verse 2. For yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Because Jesus is coming like a thief in the night to bring destruction. Just like Jesus said, if the wise man of his house had prepared for his, the thief, he wouldn't be caught off guard. Jesus says that in respect to his second coming immediately after the tribulation in Matthew 24. Then he describes being ready for it uh, like a thief in the night. It's going to be destructive. But this is going to be said right before he comes. So if the world is saying peace and safety before the day of the Lord comes, right? 
And Paul calls it his coming like a thief, which he puts synonymous with the rapture and synonymous with the day of the Lord. And they're saying peace and safety before that. And peace and safety is during the tribulation period. Therefore, the tribulation period cannot be the day of the Lord. Now, if I only had that one to use, it'd be pretty compelling. But we're, I'm showing you Elijah. I'm showing you uh, this. But let's move to the next one, the falling away. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Well, you know what? There's a little bit of devotional stuff here, which I think will be a good warning for us. Let's go to verse, go ahead and look at verse uh, 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. Catch that? You mean the Christians, brethren, which means brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness that that, that should overtake you like a thief. Now, all the pre-trib movies... It's like happens, oh, the rapture happened. Nobody knew it was going to happen because there's no events before it, you know. Thief in the Night was the first pre-trib movie I saw. I was a new Christian. I think it was like 81 or 2 or something, 3 maybe. And all of a sudden everybody's, it's called Thief in the Night. And the Thief in the Night idea isn't that it has no signs before it. Thief in the Night is the fact that Jesus is coming back. You better be watching for the signs because there will be destruction upon the wicked. Okay? Now, here... He says he's coming like a thief, but in verse, and, and, and while they're saying peace and safety, but look at verse four, but you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. Why? Because we're not in darkness. We're not in spiritual darkness. We're awake spiritually. That's why we shouldn't have to be, after we know, we don't have to worry about of the, when he says, now it's the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. In other words, you should be equipped with the knowledge of what's happening with the signs and the times and what's going to happen so you, based on Jesus' teaching. So you're aware of what's going on. But what Paul's finding out, because God uses him, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he also uses him as a man who is discovering new things about this church. He's going to find out that they are a little mixed up. But, right, but there's, a, there, there's there that have it right, but there's some people there that have it wrong. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. Why? Because they know he's going to come like a thief in the night. Amen? Verse 5, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. The point is, brothers and sisters, my preacher, our preacher brothers and sisters are always like, yeah, we never know. It can happen at any moment. It's going to be like a thief. They think it's going to come like a thief on them. Suddenly, all at once, whoa, it happened. No, it's not going to come like a thief on those who are what? Awake. He says it, thus saith the Apostle Paul. Thus saith the Lord through the Apostle Paul. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. No, it comes like a thief on who? The wicked, the non-believers. Verse 5, 4, the conjunction, you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us what? Be alert and be sober. In other words, if you, make sure you don't fall asleep because then it cannot come like a thief upon you. But let us be what? Alert or watchful and sober. That's why you want to make sure you're not drinking, man, and getting drunk. That's why you make sure you're not stick, you know, doing meth or coke or you know, a pothead, man, and just lost. Be sober, it says. Be alert. Amen. You don't want to be asleep spiritually. Remember the 10 virgins? Remember five didn't end up making it. Five woke up on just in time and they still had oil. 
Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Amen? So we want to stay awake, be ready, be alert for the Lord's return, and understand that he's not coming like a thief. It won't freak you out. When he comes back, oh, you'll be excited. Wow, you'll be with the Lord. But don't be like, I can't believe it happened then, you know? Because you'll see the different tribulation events. And I love verse 9. For God has not what? Destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So while 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, a couple chapters earlier, says we are destined for tribulation, here we're not destined for what? God's wrath. Amen? We're not destined for his wrath, brothers and sisters. Why? Well, because when Jesus comes back with his mighty angels in flaming fire, we'll be caught up. We just read that, right? The dead in Christ will rise first, then we are alive. We caught up to meet him in the Lord. Amen? So we're protected from any wrath that's poured out right now. Amen? And during the tribulation period as well. And then also, because we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we're protected from the wrath to come. God's, God's displeasure and anger that's poured out against the wicked in the form of punishment and judgment. Now, Paul confirms this when you go to the very next book, 2 Thessalonians. But now Paul has to correct something because guess what? Even though he wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, some of them are kind of messed up in their understanding. They think, they get confused. They confuse, this is kind of interesting. Check this out. They confuse the day of the Lord with the tribulation period. And they're wondering why they haven't been raptured yet. Sound familiar? I think this is just chilling. I think it's deep. But look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He's going to correct them. 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 1. He talks about the persecution they're going through. Verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God which indeed you are suffering. So they're going through suffering. So some of them are like, is this the day of the Lord? Is this the tribulation period? Look at verse six. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. God is going to afflict. He's gonna pour his wrath on those who are afflicting you. Verse seven. And to give relief to you, give relief. And by the way, it's interesting. It's a noun there, not a verb. And give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, hmm, he's going to give them affliction, but he's going to give us relief or rest. When? He says, when? You want to know when the rapture is? Right here. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his what? Mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution. That's when we get our rest. Same time he comes to bring retribution. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Make sure you obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his what? Saints. On that day, okay? Remember one of the pre-trib leaders said that day refers to the day of the Lord. On that day, that's the day of the Lord. And we'll see later in a few more verses he's referring to the day of the Lord for sure. On that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Brothers, man, sisters, what did he just say? 
he's making it clear to them that they get their rest, they get their relief from the persecution that they're going through when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in a secret rapture. Is that what he said? No, when he comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's the second coming. That's the day of the Lord. That's, when the, that's, that's the day the church looked for for 1,800 years, guys. Amen? That was the blessed hope. He's not only going to re- bless us and, and catch us up to meet him, but he's going to reign. Amen? Rest with us or you'll get your relief when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on all those that do not know God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what? The sudden destruction. Are you with me? You see what he's doing? He taught them about the rapture. He said it's coming like a thief in the night. It's going to bring sudden destruction when they're saying peace and safety. You have no need that I write unto you because you yourselves know it comes like a thief in the night. Now he realizes, guess what? There's some there that need to, to get a clue. Because guess what? Some of them are even quitting their jobs. The rapture is going to happen. You know, the tribulation started. And they equated it as, you know, suffering as though that was inordinate. And they were already going through suffering in their first letter, but it was intensifying perhaps. In fact, go to First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. You'll see that they were, and you can go to, through just more than just this passage. But listen to what he says. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Don't be a busybody. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quiet in quiet fashion and eat uh, their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And most commentators, almost all commentators in Thessalonians recognized there was a problem and it wasn't just, the, it wasn't just laziness, but there was a, 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 an eschatological misunderstanding that many of them were waiting around thinking the Lord was going to come any time. So he's correcting that. And, and guess what? He, we've already found that they're going to be saying peace and safety before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Amen. We found that Elijah's coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, now he lists two of the other events I mentioned, and I mentioned five. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right after he says that he's coming back with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now we, we request you, brethren, with regard to what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. We only take a minute on this because we've been through this before, but not actually very often in the last few years. But he's writing to them concerning, in regard to, he says, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now, what do they know about the coming of the Lord and being gathered to him? Did he talk to them about that in his first letter? We call it the what? The rapture. The, some say, oh, the rapture's not in the Bible. Come on. The word rapture's not in the Bible, but the word translated harpazo, catching up's in the Bible, means the same thing. The word Bible, by the way, is not in the Bible. We still believe in the Bible. Amen. Now, concerning Christ's coming, are being gathered together to him, which is the rapture. Look at verse, verse 2. That you do not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. Three means. A message is from us. He mentions last. Like, look what Paul was writing about. Wow. There's a pre-trib rapture. Or a, a letter. He says, by, he says that to be disturbed either by a spirit, which would be a demon, Demons would be interested in us not understanding the time of the Lord's return. That's very serious, by the way. Watch our, watch our video expose, Left Behind or Led Astray. And I'll show you that there's a whole occult background to many, of the, of many leading teachers that 
taught about the pre-trib rapture, uh, spiritism, and so forth. Not that everybody that teaches it is, a, is in the spiritism or being led by spirits through the occult. Not saying that at all. Just saying there's an interesting phenomenon that I would expose in that. Left my heart led astray. Watch the longer version. Okay, I, get, I have a whole section on that. He said uh, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed by either a spirit or a message, which would be like a prophetic message perhaps, or a letter as if from us. Meaning a letter that Paul wrote. Hey, this is what Paul's saying. Or probably more likely a counterfeit letter claimed to be from Paul. Okay? To the effect that what? What's it say at the end of verse 2? Come on. Let's read it together. To the effect that the what? The day of the Lord has come. Don't think the day of the Lord has already come. Now he's going to tell us two events that are going to take place before the day of the Lord. Let no one in any way deceive you. He gave three different ways. And he's anyway, meaning any other way. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. And by the way, don't miss this. He just referred to being caught up to meet the Lord in the air, right? In chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, right? He just called that what? Jesus becoming like a thief, and he called it the what? The day of the what? The Lord. Now he talks about our being gathered together to him. He refers to it again as the what? Day of the Lord. But look what he says. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless what happens first? The apostasy comes first. The Greek word apostasia, okay? If you have the King James Bible, it's translated fallen away. Some now, and that's the way the church had understood it for, for many, many years. Now some are saying, well, really apostasy refers to the rapture. That, that's the word Paul's using for the rapture right there. Problem, it's only used one other time. That's a whole other thing. And that's going to be one of the questions that we're going to answer the second, not this week, but next week in our Q&A time on our podcast, uh, Apostasia. I did a whole long, in-depth, I believe pretty scholarly write-up on the word apostasia and how it's only used one other time in the New Testament, the book of Acts, and it's talking about Paul was being accused of causing the Jews to leave Moses and commit apostasia. Same word, Okay. And that doesn't mean because it's used that way the other time. But I show for 500 years around this period of time, for 500 years, you go both directions. There's no usage of the word apostasia for a physical departure. It's never used of somebody departing. It's always used of a political or spiritual revolt in the Greek. You know, we have words that are used 20 years different than they are. 50 years ago, if you use the word gay or use certain words that had totally different meaning. You don't go hundreds of years later and say, oh, it's used this way of the assumption of Mary. It's the first place you see it. Hundreds and hundreds of years later by Catholics. And it's used that way of, of a physical. So maybe it meant that there. No. In fact, it would contradict Paul because he's saying concerning Christ coming and our being gathered together in the rapture, that won't happen until the rapture happens first. Apostasy is a rapture. No, that would make no sense at all. Okay, it'd be a contradiction. Anyway, Paul is talking about the falling away here, which, by the way, fits exactly with what Jesus said because when Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation, told his disciples to be watchful and aware, he said there would be a what? Many would what? Fall away. Amen? So that's the third thing that has to happen. And by the way, he says, look at verse 3 again. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. That is the day of the Lord. He just mentioned it in verse 2. Unless the what happens first? The apostasy comes first. So the apostasy, and this is in connection with the Antichrist when we look at the context, happens first or before the day of the Lord. Okay, he's talking about the apostasy specifically here during the tribulation period. That's pretty chilling. But it shows you that the tribulation period, again, is not the day of the Lord. 
day of the Lord is at the end. By the way, let's make it really clear. Look at verse 3 and really, really zone in now because it's become clearer and clearer. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. What won't come? Come on, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 2. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by spirit or message or letters from us to the effect that the what? Day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord is the it. Let no one in any way deceive you for it, what? The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who poses and exalts himself above every so-called God or object to worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So the Antichrist comes before the what? He comes first before the what? Day of the Lord. When does the Antichrist reveal himself in the temple? Halfway through the tribulation period? But that's before the what? Day of the Lord. Therefore, the tribulation period cannot be the day of the Lord. Are you with me? Okay. I really think because of the times that we're living in and things are heating up that we need to understand what the scriptures say in these areas. I really do because I don't think it's an accident that everybody's got the cart before the horse. I don't think it's an accident that so many people believe that the rapture could happen any minute and God would not let us go through the tribulation period. You know how I know it's not an accident? And it breaks my heart. I could cry right now when I think about it because I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. I don't think it's an accident because Paul said, let no one deceive you by a spirit to a demon, a prophecy as some translations have it, or a message, or a letter as from Paul to try to teach you that these things will happen, that the day of the Lord will come before these things. These things come first. The day of the Lord is the Lord's coming. He's not coming before these things. And the church has it all backwards. I'm going to tell you something right now. I felt pretty much alone 30 years ago when I would teach on this. I was like one of the, there weren't very many people out there doing it. It was before the internet. The internet's been, brought a lot of really bad stuff, right? But the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the, a lot of the evangelicals, you know, were, you know, Dallas Theological Seminaries, it was always pre-trib. It was like you, you were like, kind of like, almost like an, an alien or something from another planet Lone teaching Ranger. post-trib. Lone Ranger. Okay, better than alien, amen. I didn't say an alien, but like, you know, people look at you like you know, came from another planet or something. What, we're going to go through these things. I am happy to say now, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people now that study the scriptures on their own, don't just hear, listen to a denomination, inherit their theology from a denomination. Don't inherit your theology. You have to love the truth enough to say, you know what, that sounded really good and some of these teachers are really good in certain areas, but that's not biblical. You know, you gotta go there. What does the scripture say, amen? Now I'm happy to say more and more people are becoming post-trib and they're defending it. And I'm happy to say we have a bunch of warriors out there that we're able to train up through the years, you know. Uh, and we help that tide by the grace of God change in the church. And because I wasn't, I knew I wasn't doing it in vain. I didn't know how many people would reach. But we were, not, I'm not saying I did alone. We had, I had help, you know, we had help. And you guys have help. We're all an army of getting people to understand the truth for these end times, amen. So, now, are you with me still? Okay, there's another event. I mentioned five events that would take place before the day of the Lord that are associated with the tribulation period, okay? The strongest ones are the fallen away, the Antichrist, peace and safety, 
Elijah, if he's one of the two witnesses, or if, the two, if he represents the two witnesses, come the spirit and power of Elijah. I say if because uh, we have to see who the two witnesses are. Uh, but the next one, but for the sake of argument, because most pre-trib say Elijah, say, okay, if it is Elijah, whoever it is, they come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. We know that. Now, number five, what is going to, what's it going to be like in the world during the tribulation period, especially toward the end? What's the climate going to be like? It's going to be hard to see, right? The sun's going to be dark and the moon will give us light. Thus, those are tribulation events. Well, go to Joel. Go to the book of Joel, chapter 2. Go to Joel, chapter 2. And when you get there, it's in a very interesting book. Joel, chapter 2, verse 10. Joel's talking about the uh, coming day of the Lord coming up. And he says, and he has some really powerful language, chapter 3 as well, but we don't have time to get into everything he says about it. But with Joel chapter 2, verse 10, Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord, the what? The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome, and who can endure it? Now, in the Old Testament, there's many days of the Lord, okay? There's day of the Lords that are something that will impact a nation or Israel regarding some judgment that will come, but they're pictures of the ultimate day of the Lord. They're types, right? The ultimate day of the Lord is coming, and we read about that, and we know this wasn't fulfilled in Joel's day because Peter quotes this in Acts in Joel chapter 2, verse 31. Go jump down to verse 31. The sun will be uh, turned into what? Darkness, and the moon into blood. What's that next word? And it's in the Hebrew, by the way. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Notice it doesn't say after the day of the Lord starts, this will happen. But it says, look again, verse 31. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Wow. Now, Peter, if you want to, go to Acts chapter 2, verse 20. Because Peter quotes this. And he's talking about the Jews being ready for his return. And in verse 20, he says, And the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. By the way, right after that in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, we read, And that he may send Jesus. He's telling the Jews to repent. As a nation, to repent. And he says, that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So the day of the Lord's coming, but the sun's gonna be darkened, the moon's gonna turn to blood, right? Before the day of the Lord. Then he says, repent. And if you repent, what's gonna happen? And we know when Israel comes to repentance, they say, blessed is who comes in the Lord. When they come to repentance, Jesus is going to come back, right? But he says, heaven must receive him until when? Until a preacher of rapture? No, until the restoration of all things. That's his second coming, folks. His, a preacher of rapture is not the restoration of all things, you know? Uh, anyway, uh, what I'm, my main point I don't want to lose here is that the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. It'll be turned to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, put that with Matthew 24, 29, Jesus is teaching. Listen to this. Jesus says, and you can go there to Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. 
He's described the tribulation events. He's described the fallen away and the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation in the, in the holy place and these types of events that will happen. And he says, when you see this, to, his, to Peter, to James, to John, to Andrew, leaders of the early church, okay? And you can say, well, were they technically the church? It doesn't matter. He's telling them this is going to happen. And you guys, when you see the abomination of desolation, you take off. And then he says to, for them, a little bit later, right before his ascension, to preach the gospel to all the nation. And then you teach others, the disciples that you make, to observe what I've commanded you. So they were supposed to teach us or their disciples. And they did. John said, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many are in the world. They talked about it. The book of Revelation. Second Thessalonians 2. Paul wasn't there, but... He was an apostle born out of due time. So immediately, look at chapter 24, verse 29. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be what? Darkened. And the moon shall not what? Give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of heaven shall be what? Shaken. Wow. That's heavy. He says, after the tribulation, this is what it's going to be like. But Joel and Peter say, it's going to be like this before what? The great and terrible day of the Lord. You, you get it? So it's after the tribulation, it's still like this, but it's before the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is Christ's second coming. And right after Jesus says, after the tribulation, it's going to be like this, and then he says what? Then they'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. There it is, day of the Lord, with power and great glory. Amen? And, and the trump of God, right? And the angels and the nations of the earth will mourn. Why? Because it's the day of the Lord. Are you with me still? It all fits together like a jigsaw puzzle, like a hand in a glove. Go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. He says, I looked in verse 12. This is a sixth seal. This brings you to the very end of the tribulation period. Okay? The very first commentary on the book of Revelation, written, I believe it was the second century, which I've read. It's in the early church fathers. We have a commentary in the book of Revelation. He talks about how some of these, like the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments, not that, it's not the word of God, it's just a commentary by a church father. He says they run concurrently. Isn't that interesting? Because many scholars believe the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl describe the same end event, the day of the Lord. And I don't doubt that in my mind because I've, Memorized a lot of Revelation. And one thing I noticed, he, it repeats things. But when it repeats things, it puts it in, in, with different nuances to get it in your mind. That's called parallelism. You see that in the book of Proverbs. You see that in the book of Psalms. You see that in the very first book of the Bible. You read Genesis chapter 1. Then you read Genesis chapter 2. And liberals who have no sense about what the God is teaching. Oh, there's two different creation accounts. No, there's not. There's one that's more general. And then there's one that's more specific when he creates man. And they, 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 they basically harmonize together. I can show you in the book of Daniel where he talks about the same end time events in different ways, whether it's with a statue, with a head of gold, or whether it's wild beasts with 10 heads or 10 horns, you know, 10 toes, you know, in Revelation. Now, you put it all together, he's talking about the same thing often. In Revelation from the get-go, he talks about the second coming. Behold, he comes with the clouds, Revelation 1-7. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kings of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and is to come, the Almighty. Is that, oh, he comes in Revelation chapter 1? No. It's just saying, behold, he comes with the clouds. It's, it's about his coming. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ and his return. And then you see pictures of his coming throughout. 
But Revelation chapter, and I don't have time to get into it, but we've done this before, so I won't, I won't even be tempted to do it right now. But in Revelation chapter one, 6, verse 12 through 17, you have the very end. How do we know we have the very end? Because what's the Antichrist doing at the very end before Christ comes back? He's defying Christ. He's with the armies of the earth that are gathered together and the false prophet, the kings of the world, Revelation 17, 11 through 14, to make war against him who sits on the throne. To make war with the lamb, ultimately, really. To fight against Christ. But here he's not fighting against Christ. To hear the world leaders, the kings are not fighting against Christ. They're running for their dear lives and they're going to be crushed. And you're going to see, you're going to see the cosmos, the destruction of, uh, of much of the cosmos here. And guess what it's called? Look at the day of the Lord. Look at verse 12. I looked and when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. Sound familiar? Sun became what? Black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Can you imagine an earthquake like that? That mountain's not there anymore. All over the planet. And the islands are all moved. Praise God you guys got back from Maui just in time. No, just kidding. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave, God bless you, and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of who? The lamb. Why? Look at verse 17. For the what? Great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand you get the answer to that in Revelation 7. A great multitude that no one can ever, for every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, standing before the throne. Only by the blood of Christ can you stand the coming wrath. But this is the great day of his wrath. But notice what happens before the great day of his wrath. The sun's darkened. There it is again. Just like Matthew 24. Just like Joel 2. Just like Acts 2. Now, if the sun is darkened, and the moon doesn't give us light. And you can look, I can show you where the pits opened up, scorpion-like creatures come out, and the sun's darkened during the tribulation period and stuff. If the sun and stuff is darkened before the great terrible day of the Lord, during the tribulation period, therefore the tribulation period is not what? The day of the Lord. Are you still with me? One more. And I love, I save the, I love, I, I don't know which is the best, but for me this is, I, I get excited about the next thing I'm going to share with you. Uh, during the tribulation period, who is going to be exalted in the temple of God showing himself that he is God during the tribulation period? The Antichrist. He's going to be exalted. It's going to be the day of man is what that is. The number of man. People were taught, taught, take, told to take the mark of the beast, which is the number of a man. And his number is what? 666. Revelation 13.8. Revelation 17.8. They're going to worship him, the Antichrist, during the tribulation period. Amen. They're going to say, who can make war with him? I mentioned that earlier. He's going to be exalted like no man's ever been exalted. Satan is probably going to possess him. Now, guess what? Go to Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. It says, well, for the day of what is near? The day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. 
They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will rise like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. It sounds a lot like Revelation chapter 6. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, and fur- uh, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world of its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put, listen to this, I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. This is different than the tribulation period, right? Because the Antichrist is reigning during the tribulation period and he's exalting himself. Verse 21, I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. You ever seen the gold of Ophir? Neither have I. Verse 13, it's gonna be rare. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place and the fury of the Lord of hosts in the what? In the day of his burning anger. What's the point? Well, it's even better made, but I wanted to use these two passages because they're both powerful. Go to Isaiah 2. Let's talk about the day of the Lord. In that day, what it's going to be like. Look at verse 10. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the Lord alone will be what? Who he'll be exalted along with the Antichrist, let's say? No, alone in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up. This is, chapter, this is 10 verse through 12 and then verse 17. Okay? Uh, verse, the end of verse 12 says, that they may be abased. And then verse 17 says, the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased and the Lord what? And the Lord what? Alone will be exalted in that day. Wow. That's the end of verse 17. The end of verse 12, and the Lord will be exalted in that day. Twice. At the day of the Lord, who alone is going to be exalted? The Lord. Who's exalted during the tribulation period? The Antichrist. If the Antichrist is exalted during the tribulation phase, it literally says he exalts himself to the temple of God midway through, shows himself that he is God. But the Lord alone is exalted in the day of the Lord. Therefore, the tribulation period cannot be the day of the Lord. Are you with me? Okay. I gave you five proofs, but the first thing, five were really, I gave you six, really, six big ones. But the five were things that have to happen before the day of the Lord. That last one is just shows you that it's incongruent with the day of the Lord. Keep in mind, right now we are in the day of man. During the tribulation period, it'll be the day of man. In fact, he will actually, they'll give life to the image of the beast and people will marvel around the world, which could be some kind of form of transhumanism. And who can make war with him? Oh, even if we lose our lives, he's given us the promise of future life. All kinds of weird things are going on right now. And it looks like who can make war with him? It's the day of man at a zenith during the tribulation period. But when Jesus Christ comes back at the day of the Lord, it's the day of the Lord, man. It's the day that he comes to reign. It's the day that he comes and kicks some serious booty. Amen? I mean, it says he will, it says the Antichrist will destroy the Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Just, man, it's going to be crazy. And it's, he's going to roll with a rod of iron. So we have answered two of the questions. What is the day of the Lord? What is it? What does the day of the Lord refer to? 
please don't say the tribulation period. What does it refer to? Second coming of Christ in the day he punishes the nations. And when is it? At the end of the tribulation. How long is it? That's next week. Let's bow our hearts. Father God, we love you so much. And Father, we pray, Father, that we, as Paul declared, that we remain sober and watchful so that day does not overtake us like a thief, for we are children of light, children of the day. And we're not to be like the drunkards that get drunk at night, but that we're to be sober-minded, watchful, watching the signs of the times so that the day does not come upon us like a thief, for it shall not come upon us like a thief if we are sober and awake. And Father, may we obey Jesus who said, pray that you not fall into dissipation and, and drunkenness and that day overtake you like a, a trap there in Luke 21, 34 through 36, Lord, but that we're found waiting and longing for him. And Father, we pray that if we have our own personal time with Jesus because we pass from this life, that we'd be ready right now, that we'd always be ready to meet him. As Amos says, prepare to meet your God, that we'd always be prepared, that we'd always purify ourselves as he is pure as we look forward to his return. Father, help us to keep our lamps lit and help us to be aware of what time it is, spiritually speaking. Father, we see the, just what's going on in the world, Father, with uh, just the big brother type system coming, with uh, just globalism, with a hatred toward Christians, Father, growing. Uh, uh, the technology, Father, setting up the, uh, allowing the beast system to be forthcoming sooner rather than later now. And all these other things. And the gospel, Father, the good news, spreading throughout the world, even as your son said, the gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end would come. Father, may we be about your business and may we get the gospel out. May we serve you and be watchful and walk with you and just grow in you and grow in the grace that you've given us through your son. We pray if there's anybody here or anybody listening that has not been forgiven, that is not trusting Jesus and what he did on the cross and paying for their sins and dying and ri- for their sins and rising again on the third day, that they would abandon, they'd turn away from sin and they would put their faith in Christ who died so they could be forgiven. Do that right now if you haven't done that. And continue to trust him if you are. Continue to look to him. He's our blessed hope. Amen. As we look for his return and the blessed coming day of the Lord. A day of vengeance for the wicked, but a day of salvation for those who wait for him. In Jesus' name. Amen.